Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How's your day? It's been pretty good. Pretty uh, non, um, non-eventful. non Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Um, what, what counts as like a high event threshold for you? Like, um, generally, like I'm a, I'm a substitute teacher. So okay. high event would be like a fight or if kids are being rude or disrespectful or something. But today was really, really calm. Nothing really went on. What's your specialty when it comes to teaching? Social studies. Oh, yeah. okay. Studies. But for subbing, I do anything. They just they just put me in there. Yeah. Did you? Um, does your state require you to have uh, like a field of research declared? And what was it that got you ready for social studies? Um, How did you end up doing that? Well, I'm not. I'm not technically a substitute. That's like. That's what I do, but I'm mm. a I'm an intern for a graduate program so that I can become a full teacher. Oh, I'm so by substitute teaching. Wait, in a grad college? In a grad oh yeah. wow, okay. So you're like running around all these different periods. I'm thinking you're in like high school or middle school, oh, no. and fights sure. are breaking out now. I'm imagining fights breaking out in like grad students, like. Oh no no no! So um, you dropped my p value by five. I don't know. No no, I'm not. I'm not. No no, I'm. I am working in a high school. I am working in a high school. Okay. But I'm. But like, so I, so I applied to a program that has a. It's basically a work study. Um, I get my tuition paid off if I go into the schools and and substitute yeah. or one specific school and substitute. Okay, and so you're doing that. And balancing your post-grad work. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. In social studies or sciences, I guess it would be. In social studies, but um, it's an education program. So it's mostly just like educational psychology, differentiated education, that kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah. Is it in a education school? Um, in... Uh, like the high school or uh, I mean your program is it part of like a dedicated education college or is it just a subfield within a larger university context a subfield but it's a pretty big program um, for the area yeah are you liking what you're learning in that no is it redundant or um, Wokish is an understatement. It's it's very yeah. yeah. It's it's very much like that. Um and a lot of what they teach is like and I think this is just how education has been for a long time because I I'm like reading a lot of papers from like the nineties and two thousands and stuff, and it's just like this constant attempt at like bridging social inequalities through education. But in the back of my head, and it, and in some of the papers I write too, like teachers can't do that. <laughs> like that's not 
this is so much bigger than us. Like this is not like the best that we can do is try to prepare all of the kids for the world, but we're not going to make the poor kids rich and we're not going to make the rich kids poor. We're not, you know, it's, it's all of this stuff. And, and they do a lot of this like um, cultural sensitivity stuff too. And, Oh, you have to integrate uh, kids cultural experiences into the classroom, but they don't, let you do it in any kind of intuitive way like oh where are you from or you know let's do this kind of day or whatever it's more like uh oh black kids like doing this so you should do this indian kids like doing this so you should do this and it's like it it doesn't seem to track really (laughs) like in the classroom is so different from what they teach as theory yeah i mean even as a theory it's incredibly racist (laughs) Yeah, but I mean the fact that it doesn't even work is icing on the cake. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the same. It, but the thing is, like, it's been the same since the '60s. Like, it's not. It hasn't been the same. They've changed things, but the the mindset is the same, yeah. basically. Um, yeah. Like, oh, we're gonna tackle racism through anti-racism. It's been like that for fifty, sixty years. And it's very infuriating because I, I reject the whole framework and I tell people I reject the framework and then people are like, well, then should you even be in the program? And I'm like, I think I should. Okay. Yeah. Are there, uh, are you able to figure out who you can rely on or are there other people in the program that uh, even if quiet are skeptical of this stuff? And are you able to kind of give people bravery and set an example of a heterodox thinker, which would be something that one would hope is important in a teaching school or in an education environment? I, um, <clears throat> I can. Um, so there are, there are a couple of people, it's not very many, but there are a couple of people who are very, who are like, who see things the way that I do. Um, and I can tell based on like, it's hard with the masks, but like you can see on the in their eyes that they're like skeptical, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, most people, I would say, don't really care and are just trying to get a job. Um, oh, I mean, it's not that they're not passionate, but they're like, they're, like they're passionate about the kids. They may not really care for their area of content. They don't really care for the bureaucracy of it either, but they're just trying to get through it. And then there is that subset that's like maybe a quarter of my classes where they are very like gung ho and like, oh, yeah, this is all great, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm-hmm. But they actually so there are professors that um, my my internship supervisor actually is is one that um, really values the fact that I'm heterodox. Um, and she doesn't seem like she's very heterodox herself, but she sees in me that, first of all, I know my stuff. Um, and so there's no way I can get dinged on any of that. Um, she also knows my whole powerful trends story, whatever, like how I'm detransitioning, how I was like fucked over by, by doctors and stuff. And she feels a great degree of sympathy for me. Um but I think she also sees that I am uh, that that I do look at the world in a very different way from her generation because she's a lot older than me. Um, that might be more in line with how younger kids think of things because I'm also a digital native and and everything like okay. that. Yeah. Um, but then there are other professors that like I've had one just not accept my work. Um, because it, because 
uh, most of the work that I'm given is is not written by these professors. It's written by the state. Um, and the assignments are like, uh, like they'll give you a, the, like a certain selection of readings and then ask you why those readings are good, but they won't let you criticize at all. So they'll, they'll ask like, what are the best practices for this particular type of education? But if you say, well, these are the best practices, but there's also these critiques of it and suggestions that maybe this model is outdated and shouldn't be used. They don't, they don't accept that. Not, not every professor, but some professors are just like, that's not the assignment. Yeah. So. Um, a friend of mine, Paul Rossi, Rossi, I always get corrected no matter what I say, but I'm talking to a teacher. So, uh, you're probably, uh, you'll know when to correct me, when not to, when to let things slide. Uh, he talks about the difference between, he's, he was an educator. He kind of got, uh, uh, thwarted by the uh, dogmatism that was going on in the school that he was working in and he called it out and then was uh, pushed out uh, after that but he calls it he draws a distinction between I guess seducing and educing and uh, the what you're describing to me right now sounds like seduction not education or eduction it's about this is how we're going to do things rather than how do things happen? How do we do things? What makes something good? What makes something bad? And if you're saying that this has been going on forever, are you necessarily like, do you think that's, are you, would you consider yourself, sorry to use this terminology, like blackpilled about the U.S. public education or at least your state's education? Is there hope? What, are you pessimistic, optimistic, and, and are you still dedicated to this project? And, do you have any insight into how parents, students, and educators can change things for the better? Um, I'm uh, I'm not totally blackpilled. Not totally blackpilled. I I in in some of the Twitter circles I run in, there's a lot of people that are just like homeschool your kids, homeschool your kids, and it's like like I'm not going to say that's a bad idea right now. <laughs> I, I I have a lot of respect for parents that do that because things are pre, like pr worse than they've been um, and for a long time. Um, but uh, it's not like long term. That's not sustainable. Like that's just not going to happen. Um, I also am wary of uh, like calls to just close down public education entirely because um, then that opens the door for like corporate schools and that is probably less democratic than what we have now even though what we have now is like pretty bad um hmm. so i i'm not totally blackpilled on it i think that there are virtues to public education that are specific to public education um but i also understand that my role is to reproduce whatever the state ideology is i guess hmm. my only hope is that the state ideology will one day be something more human than what it is right now um, that's a really interesting framework. That's, uh, harkens back to how I ended up getting into this whole, uh, mess and business. What do you mean by human, more human, less human, uh, more human meaning like, uh, not, uh, categorizing people in, in like rigid groups. I think no. that's one thing I'm hoping for. And also not pushing, um, all this equity stuff either because it's like like not that i that i think like social equality is like a bad thing necessarily but like 
it's it's very much like cutting the tall trees for the sake of like instead of like raising everybody it's just about like undercutting the people at the top um which as a high achieving student i have a big problem with because i was going through that um when i was in high school um but i think uh I, i don't really i've been thinking about like what possible solutions there could be um but i haven't come to any lately uh, like not lately but like in general i haven't been in the system long enough to understand how all the power networks work so i, I don't have metaf- any you don't have any solutions as of not, this not date. right now yeah not right now <laughs> <laughs> well you are high achieving students i'm sure you'll you're gonna come up with some but that metaphor about the cutting the trees because i've heard that before i was just thinking like my imagination was just like okay Every time they try to cut the trees to level things, they never are able to get to the, the terrain itself is always like the, just the unevenness of the terrain in and of itself is never landscaped unless they just burn everything down. But even then it just, that in the uh, stupid metaphor, but inequality or un, not unfairness, but inequality is there's so many different levels to it uh, that you tack one, you create a whole bunch of other things and they can never, it doesn't seem to me that the people who promote this idea either have the frame of mind or the cognitive capacity to actually understand how complex the world is. But I, I'm, that's me being rather pr- prideful in saying that, but just been my experience. Yeah. It, it, the way that it's, it's worked out, um basically it's like they make things harder for the gifted students and they make things easier for the um like the remedial students but like they don't do it in a way that actually like builds skills they're sort of taking away skills that would be useful to the gifted kids um by forcing them to like comply to very rigid instructions and to do all kinds of like creative quote unquote projects that don't really like add anything to their education. Like it's just so easy for them that they breeze by it and don't even pay attention. And then they end up getting bad grades because they don't put any heart in it at all. Um, And then, uh, and they don't get taught the study skills that gifted kids really, really need in order to succeed in life. Cause most of the time, like they don't need to study up to a certain point. And then once they need, start to need to study, they don't know how to, and that's okay. when they collapse. So for the for the gifted kids, like they, it's just making everything harder because they have to comply to a way of thinking that isn't conducive to their success. Yeah, there's there's they're sl- it's the Harrison Bergen on, but with a ceiling. So they're slowed down, slowed down, slowed down, and they're like, okay, go go forth. And then oh, I don't know how to use my, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And then for the for the kids that are at the absolute bottom, the way that they make it easier isn't by, you know, encouraging them to do better or you like it's not anything like that. It's like, okay, you're at this level. Um, we're just gonna like pass you through, basically. Like you're too old to be in this class, but you never learned anything. So I have no choice but to let you go through. Even if you totally failed, you're just going to keep going. Um, mm. And and sometimes, like, they like they take away work, which I guess in some cases might be okay, but when you take away that work, they're not building those skills. Um, and they also, like, 
choose to use like like increasingly less complex texts in in order to read um i had one teacher say to me like i asked i asked i asked him like because he was teaching a bunch of um freshmen i was like well why is their final project just the one page paper like shouldn't it be like two or three at least you know like something a little bit more complicated and he said uh, yeah these kids can barely read like i have some i have some 14 year olds that, that read at like a third grade level and i'm like okay but shouldn't you be working with them on that hmm. um and and like giving them things to read like assigning readings and he's like well they would fail it so i'm not going to do that and it's okay. like but how are they supposed to do better if they don't fail you know yeah. like how are they not not like i mean obviously if they fail they're going to fail but how are they supposed to do better if they don't even get the chance to try yeah. you know um yeah. and so that's how there was one girl um while i was subbing she told me she's she was 15 16 and she told me she didn't know how to divide like at all she didn't know how to divide whatsoever and mm-hmm. there's a there's a calculus class actually of kids that don't know how to long divide by by hand um because they have calculators and everything um Mm -hmm. but the teacher at that time she was just laughed it off and she didn't show them how to do it (laughs) you know so it's it's pretty bad (laughs) yeah 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 and even if uh one teacher takes it upon themselves to do the hard work of teaching the kids and figuring out how to deal with the bureaucracy and then the kids i mean i just don't see anybody without institutional support lasting too long with all the work and then the attitudes on top of that. And then like I've spoken with some people, we don't have to go in that direction, but you have administrators and certain, you know, higher ups in these education departments adopting this equity stuff, which covers their asses from actually having to like face the consequences of, of what they're actually doing to these children. I mean, they, they don't get to fail. They, they don't fail in school. So the schools pass them, uh, but they fail in life and the, the school's not on the hook for the lives uh, lost or the pos- the opportunities that are lost going forward. So it's really, um, and and it, and it got worse with COVID too, because because oh, yeah. all the kids, all the kids basically lost two years of instruction. Even this year was kind of a flop, um, yeah. and they've all they've all done like in person this year. But it's just it's not good. And then you also have a lot of teachers that just don't show up anymore, because they're like well i i had covid and uh, i don't feel like coming in i'm scared uh, and there are a lot of ones that focus more so much on the masks like making sure that it's over the nose and everything that the instruction is just totally lost um the kids are super addicted to their phones now to the mm-hmm. point that it's discouraged to try to take them away um like mm-hmm. most of the time if i'm subbing like i have the urge to want to take their phone but i'm like i'm a sub i'm not gonna like get involved in that um but like most of the time i will see them like they'll have netflix open while they're writing an essay and 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 they're just like consuming mass amounts of media in the middle of class it's insane to me but they get the pass because they're like well if i take it away they're going to be grumpy they're going to be like you know Hmm. they're not going to like want to sit there they're not going to pay attention they're going to fall asleep whatever like so it's just a it's a crutch it's bad like it's pretty bleak right now oh man but i have i have hope i have hope that's the job yeah. i see ahead of me i i have uh i have some hope that that maybe i'll be able to um at least prepare some kids to do better no 
I don't know if you want to go in the original direction we were going, but bringing up being a gifted or high achiever, if you identify as gifted, or uh, if, if you want to talk through that, um, I'm just wondering, um, some of my good friends, Sasha and Stella, Sasha Ayad and Stella O'Malley, have spoken about the crossover with um, uh, gender and uh, intelligence and high, high intelligence and then uh, how that interfaces with some of the phenomena around uh, gender dysphoria and, um, I guess, gender obsession even uh, in certain cases. Mm -hmm. I was wondering um, if you want to speak to that and, uh, or just tell your story on, on that front. Or, or... Uh, I've, I've told my story before. I can go in that front. I, I can definitely go on the intelligence front. I, I don't, I've never been IQ tested or anything like that, but my parents were as part of the immigration process. Huh? Um, cause they're from, they're from Eastern Europe. Um, and they came in the nineties. Um, and, and they, they, t they scored highly. Um, I'm, I think, I, I don't know what exactly their scores were, but it was, it was 130 plus. So I don't know what mine is or my brother's, but it's, we're both probably in that range. Um, our families were both were both intelligentsia and and whatever so it was it's pretty clear what was going on there but um i got what i did get what i did get done later as an adult um right before i transitioned actually i got i, I got diagnosed with autism um and um hmm. i don't know like you know i, I haven't read too much i've read a lot of papers but I, I don't feel confident citing any of them off the top of my head but from from experience, one of the pitfalls with having that kind of intelligence and and, and especially because a lot of my inter interests were like were, were text based, like I loved reading a lot, um, and I still do like a lot of Wikipedia wormholes and 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 just obsessive researching and anything that I, I get interested in. Like I have a lot of like OCD ish tendencies, like very, very serious ones where I just sort of get lost in whatever I'm doing. I used to have very complex rituals to protect myself at night. Um, I, I had a very, had numerous, very fantastical fears about dying in my sleep when I was like six or seven years old. Um, uh, I was worried I was going to get murdered. I was worried a ghost was going to kill me. I was worried that I was um, uh, that I would I would choke to death on my own vomit. I was worried that I would get carbon monoxide poisoning, and so I would, depending on what I was afraid of that night, I would I would like um, position my body differently. Hopefully, I wouldn't I wouldn't die. I would um, cover my head with with blankets. I would you know, keep a bucket by the side of the bed in case I had to vomit. And I was terrified of vomiting too. That was also the thing like that lasted years. Um, but, um, but have like you embraced that? I, I still have a problem with that. I don't like it. I don't, uh, embrace it. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was, uh, it was like a pathological kind of, yeah. kind of like constantly, constantly afraid any upset stomach I ever had. If I ever ate too much, if I ever, um, just had gas or anything like it was always on my mind and it caused a lot of anxiety and mm. no one took me seriously but I was I was hypochondriac too I was I was a very big hypochondriac I convinced myself I had all kinds of maladies all the time uh, even before I was exposed to the internet like I, I I convinced myself I had ringworm I thought I had cancer at one at one point I was like nine years old or something um and um 
and and I had a very active imagination too, a very very active imagination. I used to um something that that I had been doing up until recently actually was um coming up with with like random fantasy worlds. Like I would draw on a map, I would draw on a, on a piece of paper like a map by hand, like freehand of different continents and i would slowly carve them up into countries and i would start writing a history of that uh, of that particular world um and and it was always like based in human history so i was always like focused on like okay well they're shipping these arms over here and and whatever and this is their ideology over here like it's very careful in how i did that um i would spend hours doing this too i used to at other jobs i would like kill time by doing that um I would have pages and pages of like his like just bulleted years of what was going on. Um, and and that was also obsessive to a certain degree because um, I, I, I wouldn't stop myself. <laughs> um, so so all of that to say that um, the connection with gender, like once puberty hit, I was miserable. I was really miserable because my body was changing. It was a very rapid change. It was they were you know obviously you you hit puberty and and you notice things happening to you and 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 it, and it's scary but it was especially yeah. scary to me because i was like already afraid that i was sick all the time and then all of a sudden my body hurt my voice was deepening hair was growing in places and i and i felt awkward because everyone's awkward at that age um but i was also um you know i i, I yeah um sorry thought sort of something else that's gonna happen a few times where i'm just gonna sort of like space out and forget what track i'm on but it's fine um but yeah so i the the very active imagination scared of puberty um scared of sexuality too um and and not really knowing and especially partially because of 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 the autism thing like when you, you know like and not to be crude about it but like you you remember like when you were a teenager and you were getting like random boners and stuff like it was hard for me to tell the difference like between like am i aroused or is this just that you know it was incredibly hard and that scared the hell out of me because I was like, does this mean that I'm attracted to this? Does this mean that I'm doing this? Does mean, you know, whatever. Oh, and yeah. I always felt a lot of guilt and a lot of shame about that happening. You know, it was, un I had no control over it, but I felt like I was a bad person every time it happened. Um, I w I've also, I've also been like a self punisher, like a self flagellator, like my entire life. I've always, punished myself for like bad thoughts and whatever i was very i was convinced um at first i, I had a religious background i still am religious but I, I was convinced that god could hear my thoughts um and that he was always listening to me and then hmm. slowly i started to be convinced that other people could hear my thoughts and that's why they weren't being nice to me um oh. i was i was worried that i was thinking so hard that other people could see it in my face what i was thinking like that's yeah. that's more akin to um not like a telepathic thing but just like a because other people had this ability to read faces that i couldn't yeah um yeah yeah and so like that that really high capacity for imagination um 
once you couple that with like all the shame of like pu- shame and fear around puberty and like your you know body changing and then sexuality gets thrown in the mix i had um i had a girlfriend when i was 14 we broke up after a couple weeks i was heartbroken like completely heartbroken i was smitten over this girl for like two years and then um and then i met another girl um and we started dating and that relationship lasted um, until the pandemic um so very long time um mm-hmm. but like you know getting uh, you know over there scared again too because this was also when like the whole pop feminism thing was happening um where I-, I guess i'm like going into my story a little bit but like there was a lot of stuff said about men and masculinity and how it's toxic and all of this stuff. And I took all of that to heart because I didn't want to hurt anybody. I was convinced from childhood that I was a really bad person for thoughts that I couldn't control for parts of my body. I couldn't control. Um, and I, I convinced myself that very innocuous masculine traits that I was just developing were, uh, signs of um, moral failure, of, of misogyny, of, of patriarchy, whatever. Um, and so I started to really resent my body as it was. And I also didn't recognize my body as it was. Like, I had no stability there. It was, it was hard to see myself in the mirror as the person that I was. Um, and I didn't really have a reason to be like that necessarily. I wasn't, I was chubby as a kid, um, and people did make fun of me for it, but I got older and I I became very athletic. Um, and, 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 you know, in hindsight, I realized that there were a lot of girls that were flirting to me, uh, flirting with me, and I didn't realize that they were flirting with me. Um, so they didn't realize that I was supposed to be the one taking action because I thought that was the bad thing, Hmm. you know? Um, and and I always I, I follow rules very literally too. I don't I don't allow for any sort of um, you know. There's not really any sort of wiggle room. I don't think about it as it would make sense. I think about it as okay. Well, this is the instruction. I have to do as the instruction says. Um, so all all of that like, you know, and and realizing like okay, men bad. What not realizing, but being told men bad and and all this and whatever like led to a lot of ideation about like it would probably be better if i was a girl in all honesty because then i could go and do certain things that i can't do as a guy and no one's going to think that i'm creepy no one's going to think that i'm weird no one's going to think that i'm you know all these things that i don't want to be and don't actually think of myself as but this voice in my head keeps telling me that i am and, and whatever so um that was part of it and then um a lot of it, you know, with the with the sexuality, with the autogynephilia aspect, like, because you're able to sustain very powerful, like, uh, imaginary situations in your head, like, you're able to embody other characters, you're able to mirror other people to kind of a disturbing level hmm. um like one thing i do sometimes and i do this unconsciously I, I start taking on other people's accents as i'm speaking to them um their own affectations and stuff um i start mirroring their behaviors and i try to like put on the same face as they do um and and some people say that that's a sign of narcissism but it's also a sign of autism because if you don't know how to express your own emotions you want to express the 
like if you don't know how like because your face yeah. never really matches your emotional state so you want to make sure that you're on the same level with somebody else you want to be personable whatever um and some autistic people some autistic advocates say that that's masking and you shouldn't have to do that and it's like well, you kind of do because other people think you're weird if you don't so um but at any rate i had um yeah, with with all that, with, with with the sexual stuff, like once you once you get into the mindset, I don't want to be in the body that I am. I wish I were this other body. Like it, it you you start to want to, you know, even in the bedroom, be that person. Like that's what your fantasies start to go towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I remember a very early situation with with um, pornography, and this was also part of it. Um, but I don't think I, I want to be clear here. I don't think that pornography itself causes this. I think there there is a latent. Uh, I, I think at one point that I said I did, but I think that there is a latent um, capacity to develop it, like issues like this. Um, that pornography can maybe trigger, but or I accelerate. don't think that, that in itself or accelerate. Yeah. But I don't think in itself it causes it. I, I, Cause not every, because there are plenty of people that use porn constantly and they don't end up thinking like this, you know, they don't end up like, you know, auto injured files or auto gynophiles or whatever. They don't end up like that. Um, they have weird fetishes themselves, but it's usually not like this. Hmm. Um, I remember when I was I, I was like nine or so and I saw a, a picture of a woman um, on on all fours like a you know like a model, um, and my first instinct like it it aroused me on you know on like like not realizing what that was or anything, um, and my first instinct was to assume the same position she was in. Hmm. That was the first thought that i had and so i didn't i was like i don't i don't get it and i never got it <laughs> i never really got it but that was the, that was the first time that that anything like that had ever happened and then you know as i grew up and learned what uh, more about what sex was and and whatever like it, it was scary to think about and then being told like all these like horrible things about men like sexual crimes and and whatever like not wanting to associate myself with any of that at all like i really did like start to think like it probably would be better if i was a woman because then i wouldn't have to like that's I, I don't want to hurt anyone and it seems that from what i'm being told women don't have the capacity to hurt anyone like that so that was my big fear right um mm-hmm. and um and so you you think of yourself a certain way you think of yourself like that and 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 it extends to um, partners and stuff like um, like having uh, one thing with with autists that somebody um, I forget who but it was a therapist it was one of the Twitter therapists you mentioned I think I forget who exactly um, but uh, mentioned that autistic people have high affective empathy like they're able to feel what other people are feeling like like not actually feel what other people are feeling but like they when they mirror another person they start to feel the same feelings that that other person feels um like emotionally basically Mm -hmm. but they have very low cognitive empathy 
So they're unable to take themselves and place them in the same situation with all the context as someone else. Um, they're not able to make that connection. And and that, that was going on with me where, and, and with my partner too, because my partner was also autistic and she was also autoandrophilic to a certain extent. Hmm. Um, and she, um, like, we both we both found each other's um like reactions during sex very arousing but by but we like wanted to mimic each other hmm. you know i don't know like if that um and, and the reason sounds like a very strange feedback loop yeah it was and it was it was not a good one i i, I <laughs> we mean strange not is in we uh yeah i mean strange like isn't that the, the strange loop kind of thing I don't think it's inherently bad. I don't I, there are definitely plenty of people like that, but it is a strange loop um, where I think I think the way that it works basically is that you like see how much the other person is enjoying it and you want to you want to feel how they're feeling. Right. And that's how it was going <laughs> between the both of us. Um hmm. She was also trans for a while. She she was um for for about two years in high school. She she identified as a trans man. She changed her name. She changed her clothes. She cut her hair off. Everything. Um, she changed her pronouns. All of that. But then she desisted after a while. Um, and uh, you know, I wasn't like. I didn't think it was like a cool thing or anything. I, I saw she was struggling. I also didn't really believe her that she was actually a man, um, hmm. I, which is strange to think about because only like a couple years later, like I started identifying as a woman. I started being like non-binary or whatever. Um, and, um, but I, I didn't really believe her because I was like, well, you're still, you know, you're still my girlfriend. You still act like a girl. You're still, you know, um, and I, I think eventually she just like got more comfortable with herself and, and everything. She had to go through a lot of therapeutic support and whatever difficult situation. But, um, hmm. like she, I don't think she realized, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I can't, I can't speak to that, but I, I don't think that she really thought about her experience versus my experience as much. I think she took it very literally. And even though I took, I mean, I obviously took it very literally. I thought I was literally becoming a woman. Um, mm -hmm. That was mm -hmm. on my mind a lot. Um, and it was only after I, I had medically transitioned that I realized I couldn't. Um, hmm. But um, she, were so, you yeah. Were you given um, access to specialized support? with regard to gender and autism at the same time while you're going through this gender transition? Are you uh, somebody helping you with your autism or, or showing you how things are working and how you're thinking? Did you have a sounding board at all? No, no, none. Um, I, I, I had a lot of trouble with a uh, therapist. I, I went through like a lot of therapists. Um, the first, first one, I didn't know what to do in therapy. Um, and I felt like I couldn't talk about stuff at home at all for complicated reasons. Um, but uh, it just wasn't doing anything for me. 
And then the second therapist, like I, we talked about stuff at home, but, uh, then he was like, let's get your mom in here. And things went downhill from there. Um, really downhill. Cause there were some things that like, I was hyperbolizing. I was, I was exaggerating, catastrophizing, whatever. But then there were other things that were true that I was saying that were red flags and they were just denied completely. And I was just made to be crazy and, and whatever. Hmm. Um, then in college I had like a road, like a <laughs> revolving door of, of counselors at, at the, at the university counseling department. Um, and none of them really helped with any, they didn't diagnose me with anything. They didn't give, you know, they gave me a book here and there, but I didn't read. Uh, I was just, you know, in my room drinking a lot. Hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, college, not good. I was also in a cult. I should mention oh, that, but I love okay. mentioning that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, was it, uh, what flavor, if I may ask? Communist. Oh, okay. Well, like communist, but like Black Lives Matter y kind of type. Okay. Yeah, not good. So you, um, were, uh, you were militantly woke then? Was, Is yes. That, okay. I, very much so. Oh. Very much so. But the trans thing was not as central to it. Okay. It was central to me, but it wasn't central to the group at large. Okay. Yeah. It was was it connected? Was the gender stuff connected to the uh, social activism, communism stuff? Or just, uh, did you keep them apart? They were, I did think of them as being together, but I also didn't think that it was that important. Like I, I talked a lot about like trans liberation and whatever, but I didn't see it as the, the core of, of my ideology. Um, it was sort of just like one other thing. Like it was okay. just one identity group out of many that were, going to benefit from from whatever it was that we believed in (laughs) (laughs) is there a word for that i'm writing a i'm writing a rock opera about a similar cult so i'm always looking for new language to describe uh this utopia or eschaton uh we didn't really have a name for it We, we it wasn't one thing um there was one girl that called it uh black radicalism there was one person that was like anarcho-syndicalist there was another that was a social democrat we didn't give a shit <laughs> we didn't hmm. give a shit it was just all that mattered was that you were in the in group and everybody okay. else was the out group and if you were in the in group you had to follow the rules and if you didn't you were in the out group hearkening back to what you were saying about rules if what I've noticed is that it can be the case that these rules in social activism can change overnight. And if you're being very literal with rules, how did you deal? Did, did the rules change? And how did you know what the rules were? Were they written, unwritten? How did you navigate something that was so strict uh, with such a literal mindset? And was that perhaps a growth opportunity for you to kind of figure out implied and explicit meanings and stuff um it was so it was mostly unwritten we had so we had written out like processes for how to handle like interpersonal issues or whatever um and and those were 
explicitly written, but it was basically just like mob rule. Like as long as you have enough people on your side, you will win. Like, and there was a, we had like a restorative justice process and that was basically what I described, but, but the, there was no off ramp for it. Like if you were called before like a restorative justice hearing, you were acute, like you were guilty by accusation and uh, there was really no way to like get you back in other than constantly testing you to see what like whether you agreed with the consensus and no one ever got let back in once they got accused um wow. but the unwritten part of it was the hierarchy of who could call these meetings um and that was basically like you needed to be the most marginalized or you had to have like a pretty strong um you know uh coalition charisma yeah 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 um yeah you you had to, you also had to be charismatic that was the other thing um but the the big thing was like you needed to, like you needed to have as many identities tacked on you as possible yeah um and it was it was very explicitly racialist like that was the big thing like a white person had no standing no matter what like even though i was a trans woman i was still marginalized for being white um and not that like any of that matters because trans women whatever but like even even within that woke sphere it didn't matter because because being brown or black mattered more mm-hmm. um and that's that's the part that was unwritten was where exactly those lines were but basically like if you were a woman and you weren't white you could get away with anything like that was the whole thing um so so you needed to be a woman you needed to be a person of color you needed to be queer um but i also was there and i was introducing the idea because i was i was still skeptical of queer stuff even though i was trans i was like Hmm. well it's lgbt there's not anything more than that what are you talking about you know um and so i sort of introduced the idea like if you aren't actually like gay if you aren't actually like in a relationship with somebody of the same sex then maybe you shouldn't have access to that queer label or if you're not trans too you know and all of that was just like through discussion we hashed all that out we didn't actually write any of this down because you know it it would have been um it would have made us realize what exactly we were doing um but it was also um it was we had written it down sort of in a different way where it was more vague where it was like uh, the personal is political like that was one of our doctrines was like anything that happened between two people had to involve the whole group mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. um and and you couldn't trust any outside institutions whatsoever you couldn't trust the police you couldn't trust uh, like other campus administrators you couldn't trust um even people outside the group you couldn't trust them um because they weren't as revolutionary they weren't as visionary they were um you know, they were agents of the state, they were agents of the whatever. So like, it was a very paranoid thing too. And and really like all the people that you trusted with all your secrets and all your, you know, on, on a very personal level, like the people that you spent all your time with were also the only police there, you know, mm-hmm. like, so, and, and there was no hierarchy. There was no official hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So no official accountability either. No, none, none. And, and, um, and even though there was no official hierarchy, we still all gravitated towards like the same three people. Mm -hmm. Um, one of whom was literally just a narcissist, like, like raging, raging narcissist. And, absolutely terrible person um but i was i was very close to her i was in her orbit because i i i gravitate towards that personality Hmm. um it's very easy to keep me under under the wing because if someone tests me over and over and over again i just end up continuing to want to prove my loyalty okay yeah Um, and then the what you were talking about about effective empathy from the autistic or autist uh point of view does that have some sort of like chemical reaction or some sort of molecular bonding with the narcissist's uh, desire to be affirmed. So is that another strange loop or a feat? Yes, absolutely. Um, My, my, not just with this girl, but also with my ex-girlfriend, that feedback loop was there. We also both turned each other into narcissists Hmm. um, because like we would like, if at any point there was like a negative emotion, it was the other person's responsibility or it was their fault. Either way, like, you know, and, and that was also largely unconscious too. Like that wasn't something we were aware of at, at any point. It it was just sort of like, I see this person that I care about hurting very badly. And it's hard for me to think through in a rational way why they might be feeling that bad and whether it might actually be their own fault that they feel that way you know so there were there were a lot of instances or whether they even had a right to feel that way in the first place like you know um hmm. I, I don't know there there were a lot of instances where like i'll give i'll give one example because it was the most ridiculous one um there was a girl that was in the cult that lived with the leader of the cult the leader of the cult was a was a muslim woman um and and she didn't drink and the 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 girl that was living with her was like your average sort of like college student right um and she was like a white passing latina was the way that we were told to talk about her after the fact before that she was a brown woman but after the fact she was white Mm -hmm. um so what happened was like it was it was this girl's birthday um and she had just turned 21 so she wanted to drink in the room and the uh, the leader of the cult was like uh you can't drink in the common area you can't leave any alcohol in the common area because i'm i don't want to see that so the girl was like okay sure but she ended up getting drunk in her room and left a shot glass on the common counter when the leader of the cult came out in the morning and saw it there and could smell the alcohol on it because she literally picked it up and smelled it just to check i guess um she uh freaked out and said that this was a uh an attack on muslim women on brown women it's from this white passing latina i need all of i need backup here we need to like call her out we need to have a restorative justice process this is ridiculous she lied to me she all of this and i went there with a couple of other with a couple of girls 
that were also in the cold, that were also very prone to being manipulated by narcissists. Some of them had narcissistic parents. Some mm. of them had narcissistic exes. Um, so it was all girls that were very like vulnerable to that kind of, you know, mentality. Um, and we, it, I mean, we just like yelled through this girl's door for like a good couple hours. Um, and uh, she ended up she ended up moving out the very next morning um, to someone else's dorm, and we never heard from her again. Um, but like, e even in that moment, like we, none of us thought through like that's kind of fucking ridiculous. Like she just left a shot glass out there. What are you talking about? Like you were actually insane. Like none of us could think like that because we mm -hmm. saw how upset this woman was, and we saw how and and we attached it to our very complicated ideology and we were like okay well this is an injustice that can't stand you know and we had no sympathy for the girl um whatsoever uh we had no like oh well, she was she act. was now part of the out group so she... yeah exactly hmm. um so so situations like that happen frequently and and I I mean I also you know I had my own fair share of, of stuff like that I'm not gonna <laughs> talk about that because I'm not like that anymore but I've I've had I've I've done stuff like that too I've done that within the cult I've done that with my ex I've done that with my parents too like it but it is always that feedback loop it it is always that it, that feedback loop it's very rarely just one person um, that's mm -hmm. I mean it, with the cult it was it was one person <laughs> it, it was kind of just one person but. Um, there it, it, it's still like you know you end up with a narcissist you become like a mini narcissist yourself you know like it, um especially if you do have that kind of affective empathy and if you're mirroring their behavior too and and not just mirroring their behavior because you want their validation you're mirroring them because you literally don't know how to interact socially without doing that you know um hmm. I, I, it did teach me a valuable lesson um, after I had been kicked out that... Uh, oh, I was going to ask how you left, but uh, you were... You I was, I was forced out, yeah. Um, it, that's also a very complicated story in its own right, but I ended up living in a, in a house with, with like um, five or six girls that were all in a cult as well. And um, hmm. they... Uh, I was... I, I had run away from home and and whatnot and and didn't have anywhere else to be i was very severely traumatized i uh i guess not severely but i was i was trying i was in a, I, was, I had ptsd like i had very very bad ptsd i was having like weekly flashbacks i was smoking a lot of weed i was having psychotic episodes i was unable to regulate my mood i was working a lot i was not sleeping i was like working full-time and going to school full-time um I was not had you transitioned at this point not yet not okay. yet that didn't happen yet um, so you don't have like an extra battery of uh hormone replacement therapy going on at the same time no no if i if it had been going on at the same time it would have been way worse it would have been way worse my sensitivity to drugs went down in like a lot after i got on hormones um and then and also like it made me very depressive so i didn't have the energy to be working and going to school and whatever but i like i had socially transitioned at that point i had started to tell people to call me like by by my feminine name and whatever and and um 
Yeah, but I got I got kicked out because I was a messy roommate, basically. But they made it seem like I had uh, racially abused one of our uh, one of our friends, and they wouldn't tell me who that friend was, and I wasn't allowed to talk about it with anybody. And hmm. and it turned out after the fact that no one outside of the house actually knew that I was part of a restorative justice hearing. They just thought I dropped off the face of the planet, hmm. which was insane. Um, but I was I was under. I was under watch. They segregated me from the rest of the house. I had the whole top floor to myself, but I had no stove. I had no uh, no washing machine. I had no dishwasher. I had like half a counter. Um, I still had a fridge. I still had a sink, but I like I had I had to like buy my own equipment for cooking and stuff and whatever. I wasn't allowed to go downstairs for any reason. Um, and they even put up a curtain by the back stairwell so that they wouldn't have to see me while walking upstairs and downstairs. Okay. Um, and, uh, and you know, I wasn't allowed to talk to any of them. I was told that if I followed whatever it was that my handler was uh, doing, uh, was telling me to do, then eventually after a couple months, I could, you know, we could all be friends again. It would all be fine, like water under the bridge, whatever. Uh, and I believe that, and I was desperate to believe that because I had no friends uh, outside of uh, outside of the script. I had one friend actually. She was she was a really sweet sweet person that that helped me through a lot of that. She let me stay at her house a lot <laughs> while going through that. Hmm. Um, but um, but outside of her, like I didn't have anybody else. I had my ex who was hours away, and she broke up with me in the meantime, but still wanted to have sex with me and whatever. Um, so it was that was also bad. Um, and I didn't have family. I didn't, you know, I didn't have, I didn't really have any, any of that. Um, so I, I was very desperate for, you know, that promise that, that yeah. we would be friends again. And uh, I ended up, you know, the summer passed and I got told, uh, so uh, when are you going to look for new apartments? Because the new semester starting, we want a new roommate. They didn't even like, none of that was discussed. No, no one, they even explicitly told me like, we're not kicking you out of the house at first. And then all of a sudden I had two weeks to find a new apartment. Um, so I, I found one, I blew all my savings on it. And eventually I ended up moving back with my grandparents because that was also a trip in itself. But um, how did you yeah. begin to find a center or start to understand that you're getting caught in these untenable relationships and these uh, abusive and uh, unstable, destructive relationships? Um, the first, so the first major wake up call was when, was maybe a month after I got kicked out, I realized, oh, they were just lying to me. You know, it never occurred to me that, that anyone would just lie about that, especially not people I was so close to, you know? Um, but I just, so I, it kicked in that they lied to me. I demanded money. I demanded that they give me like all like all together, all like eight of them or whatever, because there were two other people involved too. Um, I, I asked for $1,500 to cover some of the expenses, to cover the new lease, whatever, like just not, that's not even the amount that I actually lost, but I asked for, for some, and I hadn't like, that was all the money I had, like straight up all the money I had. So um, I asked them, I asked them for that. And some of them felt bad and they gave me they gave me some of it we're still friends today but then other others were just like no fuck you like you're you know you're you're this racist coward or whatever um and um 
and that was when I, when I was like, oh, I'm actually, you know, there is a reason human beings get angry. It's okay to be angry in this situation. Like, it's actually okay to be angry in this situation. This was actually, like, I was harmed. And it was because of this, this fucked up ideology that they were all following. Um, and it was, like, completely unjust. And it just, and, and it was just total, totally abusive. So that was the first, like, realization of, of that. And then um, I had already, like, had issues with my with my parents, but I didn't fully explore that yet um and i didn't i didn't finally recognize the the pattern itself until maybe a year after my ex and i stopped talking altogether um because then that was when i was like okay so because that that was harder because it was like she wasn't totally at fault and i wasn't totally at fault and the way that we talked about each other back and forth towards the end, like it was clear that we were both projecting a lot onto each other. Hmm. And that was when I started to think, okay, so this is the dynamic as, as it, as it exists. It, it is that, that feedback loop of, of expecting the other person's validation to fill something that you don't have. Um, like to like hoping that they being happy will make you happy. Um, even if they're feeding off of you at, at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, um, that, that was when I, when I finally, so that was probably like late um, 2020, early 2021. Um, and then I had started to, that, that was also when I had like worked things out with parents and everything like, and then things are fine with family now, but, mm. um, but then uh midway through 2021 like maybe may was when i started to think oh the trans thing hmm. might not be working out too good <laughs> and yeah. uh on what level did you first become aware of it the physical side of it or the psychological side or the ideological side um it was kind of all at once um, not maybe not all at once, but ideologically, I had already distanced myself from the, from the overall movement. Um, I, I, I wanted nothing to do with anything left wing at that point. I did, didn't want to consider myself like a member of the left or, or whatever. Um, so I, I just I, and as far as like how I viewed transgenderism generally, like I, I just I was like of all the things. It's not important, and I don't necessarily care if trans people get left behind politically, because um, it's such a small group of people that it, it just doesn't matter. Like that was my mindset going into 2021, um, or even like even uh, basically as soon as the pandemic started, like that was starting to be my mindset. Where I was like, I just don't fucking care. Like, hmm. you know, whatever. Just I just want to live but i also don't care if i personally get left behind or whatever um and and then slowly i like i i was i was convincing myself of a lot so at first when i had originally started transitioning i was like uh you know i can just be a woman whatever um i didn't have any sort of like grounding in like what would make me true trans necessarily i was just like i'm I'm trans because I'm sad about being a guy. Like that—that that was like as far as it went. And then um, 
at that, like in, in uh, once 2020 started, like my thinking had changed to, I have, there, there's some sort of hormonal issue in my brain that is making me trans. Like I, my brain is female and my body is male. Like that, that was what I was thinking because I was, I actually had taken well to hormones. Like it wasn't upsetting to me. I was doing, I was very depressive. I was crying a lot, but I was very grateful for that release because it was helping a lot with, with, with PTSD. Um, I, I had a lot less anger. I was a lot happier about that. Um, I, I appreciated like not um, having to be as physical to get my stress out. Um, just a lot, a lot of stuff like that. And I, and I was also happy my libido was going down too. Cause I didn't, that was also like something I, I struggled with a lot. Like I, I hated having a sex drive. Um, and uh, obviously that's not a healthy way to deal with it, but um, hmm. I, I hate it all. So I, I had, so I, I was, I was doing okay with them. Right. Um, and so I figured like, okay, well, if I'm doing okay with them, then I must actually be trans or whatever. And I, and I had a friend that was a, a trans man um and he he detransitioned over the course that we we spoke and we're still friends but we don't talk as much but that was my first like ex real exposure to like oh people detransition um was was seeing it happen in front of me um with, with this person that i had met and um it, you know we we talked a lot about our issues and the more that we talked i was like i was thinking about it um our experiences weren't one-to-one, -one, but there were a lot of overlaps that I was surprised about. Um, like she's, she was a, she was a butch lesbian and she was really like, you know, she was from a bad family and et cetera, et cetera. She ended up doing a lot of, you know, drugs and, and, and whatnot and lived on the run and et cetera, et cetera. And she was also in a left-wing cult at some point. So th there were parallels and then there weren't. And, you know, I, I, I thought about it, but I didn't apply it to myself yet. But it was something that I had been thinking about. And then um, then uh, I started to I, I bought, then I started to like very seriously, like read all the research and whatever. And I kept running up against like all these different and, and varying like esoteric explanations from like Julia Serrano and like a bunch of other trans woman neurologists um that you know they were coming up with research that didn't reflect reality and came and had so many different like etiologies for what makes someone trans mm -hmm. um and so i started like reading other things i started reading like gender critical stuff i started reading like radical feminist stuff but this was also very not what I wanted to read uh, because it was so because they hated men so much and they hated trans women specifically so much that like I would start crying reading it like I would literally start crying reading it because I was like I'm not like I'm not doing like straight up I was like I'm not doing this to get into the women's room I'm not I'm not doing this to prey on women I'm not doing this to prey on children I'm not I'm just you know I feel like there's something wrong with me, you know, and I'm trying to fix it and I don't know what the answer is, you know, so it was a very distressing to read um, some of that stuff and not because, uh, you know, 
not because those people don't exist, but because they were like a lot of the sentiment was basically like, if you are like this, then you are this. Um, and, and you need to be held to account for that. And, you know, I, I was just confused. You know, I was, I was like 15 when I started identifying as trans, like I'm not, you know, and I, and I was, I was 20 when I started medically transitioning, but I was like at the point where I started medically transitioning was within a couple of weeks of being kicked out of that cult. So it was, it was at a very stressful time in my, I was not. And you were diagnosed with autism at the same time. And I was diagnosed with autism at the same time. Um, So it was, it was all of that. Um, uh, Yeah, it was, it was a lot of things. Um, And, and, uh, and my ex didn't help either. um, Cause she, uh, you know, she she had been identifying as a lesbian for some time at that point, but obviously, if she's having sex with a with a man for for many years, it's questionable, uh, questionable. Because it was enthusiastic too. Um, she, you know, we made a lot of promises to each other because we had been together for so long. We were like, we're going to get married, we're going to have kids, we're going to live in a cottage, we're going to do all this, um, and and that was keeping me going for a time. And then, you know, she was like, well, I don't really want to be in a relationship, but can we be friends with benefits? And I was like, because I had no one else. You know, she was my rock. I was like, okay, okay. You know, Um, and she, like, once I had started transitioning, like, she sexualized the hell out of it. Like, she was, she was really handsy. She was, you know, it was, it was not, that was not a good time for me either. Um. Hmm. but um no it, it was it was it was so so that was that was happening and i you know i felt a pressure like okay well if you're a lesbian then i have to be a woman if we are going to be together not that i was questioning that i was a woman at the time but that pressure made it impossible for me to see okay anything else um and so i i think in order for me to have detransitioned i would have had to have broken up with her in the first place but um so I mean that did happen. So fortunately, but at any rate. Uh, so if you're if you're going through uh, a number, you're relating to me a number of different avenues that you're going down, that you're questioning, and ways of thinking that you're questioning about the world, about politics, about yourself, uh, about gender, about relationships, about family. All this stuff's being questioned. Where do you get to a point where you begin to see how to establish a positive identity and a positive ideology or a positive belief system? Where where do you start to find truth that you can start to build or rebuild on? Um, I started. Uh, I. Sorry, I realized I just sounded so manic there. Um, that last rant. Uh, no, my bad. No, it's okay. Um, the um, when it came to trying to find the truth, um, I my my first positive identity for myself was like once I had started transitioning. Like I was, I that was when I chose to turn my whole life around. And, and be a more positive person and be a better person and try to do better for myself and not let myself slip through the cracks and everything. So 
that, that initial point of transition, like, I can't say I regret those two years or so, like a little two years and like a half or so. I, I can't because it like trying to form that identity of, of the woman that I'm not made me like, it made me want to be a better person. Like it made me finally stop making excuses for myself. I was like, okay, you finally got what you want you have like now you have responsibilities like you know um and and i was convinced prior to transition that i was going to kill myself if i didn't transition so once i did transition i was like okay well now i can live the rest of my life right that was that was what i was i was going through um and that's that's where that started that positive identity for myself even though it was not real even though it was it was premised on on a lie it (laughs) um even though even though it was premised on a lie it was um it let me start to heal kind of like it really did let me start to heal because before that my entire life was pain about being born in the wrong body okay well now i'm not born in the wrong body now it's let's move on and um that was when i started and you know the fact that all that stuff happened at the same time meant that I had started to criticize leftist ideology. I had started to move maybe in a more conservative direction. And my grandparents kind of helped with that too. Um, Cause they, because especially my grandfather, like he's been very critical of the whole democratic party for many years. <laughs> um, and, and, and I was finally, I was finally starting to see his side of things. Hmm. Um, and there were, you know, I, I'm not sure how much of them were chemical effects or how much of them were placebo effects, but I did feel like less of a compulsion to like argue or or, or be impatient or, um, you know, I, I was much more open to having my worldview criticized at, at that point because I realized that not being able to criticize or not being criticized like had led me down a very dark path. Um, and, and that was still happening within the context of my transition. Um, so things happening, slowly picking up steam. Um, and then, um, finally I, uh, I read about autogynephilia. I read about, um, you know, I read it from Blanchard and from Ann Lawrence and everything. I had a breakdown for a few months, uh, really trying to like, exercise those those trans identity demons and like okay you're not really a woman this is really what's going on and and you know still worrying about about being male and everything like still like trying to deny it still that was an intolerable thought but i got over it i guess um and that and at that point was when i actually even a little before that even a little before the autogynephilia point i realized that they were sterilizing children like even before i realized that being a trans woman doesn't mean anything i was appalled that there were leftist friends of mine that were upset that arkansas had banned puberty blockers for children under 16 and they were out of their minds sorrowful 
for all the poor trans girls that were never going to get their Lupron. Meanwhile, in my mind, I'm like, these are, you know, even as a teen, I was like, I wish I was on hormones, you know, whatever. But like, as, as an adult, I'm like, yeah, teens should not be on it. You know, like, teen, it, it, like children should not be on it. Like, this should not be something that 11 year olds are taking. Um, so even before I got to the autogynephilia part, I was looking into the medical effects of it on, on adolescence because that was becoming a concern. And then after that, it's, it's hard with the timelines. Um, it's very mm. muddy at this point because it was a very term tumultuous time, but yeah. Yeah. The, if you are looking for resources to build up a positive identity and make peace with your manhood, and uh, getting out or cr becoming critical of the trans or the gender ideology movement. You have a bunch of resources written for and by women from a very particular uh, female perspective that, as you say, and as some of us know, can tend to be very anti-male. It doesn't sound like you have something to build from. And then you find AGP, autogynephilia, that's something that positively describes you, but it still positively describes you in a negative light. It's still yeah. not like, uh, how do you become okay with yourself and apart from, you know, criticizing bad ideas, but become yeah. whole? Okay. Um, well, the becoming whole part was um i am still working on it i'm still working on it join the club <laughs> um but i am uh i i, I started to think like okay well you know i don't want to go infertile i don't want to damn it like i don't want to destroy my body for nothing like i you know if if i really am just a male with this like weird inverted sexuality, like I can find others like me that haven't transitioned and I can talk to them. And there was, you know, I had gone to a couple different forums, but I found that there were a lot of people on, on hormones there and they were selling hormones and whatever. So it wasn't hmm. the best, but I tried to, I tried to avoid all that. I tried to find an answer without hormones and I tried to find a way to get off of them like cognitively because off of them as far as like physically you just wean off of them or you go cold turkey it doesn't matter um but um in doing so and trying to find such a community i ended up uh in um ludwig von riesenstein's um discord i think you've you've spoken to her before she's she's a detrans woman with uh, autoandrophilia um and um while there like you know there were a bunch of guys including and and her too who are just like you know you already are the person you are like you're already like not that you, you know you're not that bad you're a pretty good person like you have some pretty good qualities like you know and the gender stuff like presenting as female and, and wearing women's clothes and stuff like you might feel very emotionally attached to that because that's still carved into your identity, but like, that's just an affect, you know, like what you wear on the outside is not going to change who you are. It's going to change how people perceive you, which was also something that I had trouble with, but you know, that's not going to change who you are on the inside. 
I know my my counter argument was like it kind of does because people see you differently like you're going to navigate through the world differently and whatever mm. but there's a give and take there's a give and take but they were like yeah but you know you don't like you have to make the decision like do you want to be on these drugs forever do you want to be lying to people forever do you want to like you know do you want to do all that do you want to like put up this performance of someone you're not or do you just want to be yourself and i decided okay i just want to be myself but i didn't like i didn't have anything immediately to answer like what myself was and now that i've actually started to detransition i'm on i've been off hrt for a couple of weeks i've been um you know i've been starting to like purge my closet of, of like women's clothes and stuff not entirely not entirely i still you know there's some stuff that still looks good on me and is comfortable and whatever but like I, I I don't introduce myself as a woman anymore. I don't do any of that, you know. Um I, I shed any sort of like desire to like be referred to as female. But the way that I did that really was just be like, Okay, well I already am this person. I don't have to I don't have to fake it, you know. Um and I don't have to like hurt myself to do it either. Um and as far as like what my positive identity is, like the way that I conceptualize myself now is I'm I'm my I'm I'm a grandson, I'm a brother, I'm you know I I'm I'm a member of a family unit, I'm a, a you know the, a, the brainy one in in my friend one of the brainy ones in my friend group. <laughs> um, I uh, you know I I'm the one that like really gets you know excited about like seeing like a cute animal or something like i get like visibly excited um you know i i'm i'm just i'm just the person that i already am basically like is is how i i came to terms with it um and uh, slowly too like i i had uh, over 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 the course of my transition i had developed an attraction to men um and it was also through through that that I started to realize that there were a lot of masculine traits that I didn't find negative and that, that were actually quite, you know, attractive to me in another person, but also attractive to me, like, as something admirable that, that maybe I would want to, maybe I would want to emulate, even if I did think of myself as a woman or whatever, hmm. you know, um, and so I thought about those traits and I was like, oh, well, there's no reason I can't embody those if, if I try, you know, mm -hmm. so, um, and so now I'm just, uh, I guess that's, that's my positive identity is I'm just, I'm just here. I'm embodied. I'm, and I'm you're not a teacher and I'm a teacher. That's also something. Yeah. Um, that, that's you... also a major thing. Yeah, actually. Yeah. I, um, I, I have to say that uh, I have to go. Um, yeah. Not immediately, but um, I don't like uh, scheduling talks this late because I just found somebody I want to listen to for three hours, but I can't. Sorry. <laughs> um, so we can't we can't uh, leave the conversation and wrap it all up. But thinking of that, what are going forward? I, I was just attracted to your uh, Twitter account and. Uh, very educated and smart stuff. So it sounds like you have a lot to do, a lot to give. 
to the world. And I know you're being a teacher and stuff, but what are some of the resources or projects or uh, if, if you want to craft an online identity uh, based on your experience to give wisdom to people, what would that look like? And what were the, what are some of the things that you would want to have offered yourself or that you can offer now to people who would uh, find themselves in a similar uh, situation to you? Um, right now the focus, uh, so my Twitter is kind of just what I just do, whatever I, I, I'm not very organized with the Twitter. But the substack, I'm trying to gear it more towards parents who have kids going through the same thing. Um, and, you know, in, in talking to other detransitioners, both male and female, like a lot of us, it turns out, have really fucked up families. Um, so I, you know, at first I was like wary a little bit because I was like, I don't know, you know, not every parent is up to code i guess hmm. um but then then thinking about it like there are a lot of groomer teachers and stuff so you know there and a lot of them are getting it from the internet like i got it from the internet everyone got it from the internet <laughs> so I, I i wanted to i want this subspect to be more informative for the parents i don't want to gear it towards and you know for the for the older guys too that, that are going through the same thing i can't speak for the girls necessarily um I sometimes sometimes do, but that's only because my, my girlfriend and I were very much the same in a lot of ways. And, and mm-hmm. you know, she could have ended up being like a, a detransitioner. She was a detransitioner, I guess. So, um, but um, yeah, I, I'm mostly trying to gear the substack towards, towards uh, parents. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, like lately, I have um, one article that I've, I've been writing, um, on, uh, on the whole multiple, multiple personality thing on TikTok hmm. and relating it to my experiences. Cause I have talked about it being like two souls in my body at the same time. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's the same thing to me. It, it just, it looks like it's the same thing to me. Um, and I want to like get into how that is. And then I have another one after that talking about, uh, Tumblr feminism from both the male and the female perspective and how that was extremely um, important in getting a lot of the early transitioners to transition Um, because, and, and specifically not the points that were like transition is good because that's obvious. Like that's the obvious part, but the earlier bits that sound a lot like the contemporary radical feminist rhetoric that that was a lot of scaremongering, a lot of anti-male hatred, a lot of like divisiveness, a lot of a lot of that. So I want I want to get into that because that was that was really my vector for mm-hmm. being uh, vulnerable to to trans ideology itself. So mm-hmm. um, those are the two things, and I want and and part of the reason I want to focus that that second article to the parents because a lot of them are moms and a lot of them are in the gender critical movement and a lot of them are you know. Um, a lot of them have some of those radical feminist beliefs just because of how they've swapped ideas back and forth. And and I want to point out, like, this is not going to convince your kid of anything. Like, hmm. this is not going to convince your kid to detransition. This is not going to save your kid. You're going to, like, this is going to help push them. You know, because, it, like, it, it's it's helpful to understand the way the ideology functions, like what it promises and, and everything. And the pushes and on. the pulls into it. Yeah. Um, as for the rest of Twitter, as for like everything, I, I hope to have 
some sort of um, like freelance career maybe as a side gig. I want to be a teacher primarily, but I want to, mm -hmm. I, I like writing. I really do like writing. And I do, I don't think I'm smart enough right now to have like very uh, careful takes on a lot of subjects on a lot of pop cultures. I'm not nearly as refined as I'd like to be. And, and the people that I follow make that very clear. Um, but um I, I would I, I think that I have the capacity to get to that point where I have something some sort of actual project um, mm -hmm. to put forth that's broader than just just transition. Um, I think that these experiences have been very important for me in deconstructing ideology and and paying attention to how it functions and looking into, power networks within the democratic party and, and everything like that but so was part of my so was being part of the leftist cult thing too because i was like it was a big uh, anti-prison group this this one that i was in and, and i saw a lot of like connections to the ngos and connections to the academy while i was there i had i had taken other courses with professors that were openly like cia like cia and, and stuff so um i i you know, I've I've had those experiences. I've been around those circles. So I, I have an idea of how they function and I think that with time and with enough effort I can I can offer something broader. I think. Yeah. That is sounds really exciting. I'm gonna have to have you back on just to talk about the CIA stuff and how they're poisoning our brains with the internet. <laughs> Whatever. But what about men's groups or, or resources for men? Because in my exploration of this topic, it's it's been very rare to speak to a male, especially uh, detransitioner male. And I'm sure that there's a lot of psychology going on with that. But I perceive that there needs to be some sort of resource. Um, whether or not men are attracted to a resource of one sort or another is an open question. But what what do you think about that? Or what are the, some of the things that you would hope developed as time went on and more trans detransition occurs and uh, resources specific to males and what those would look like? Uh, I don't really know. Um, so the group that I'm, that I'm primarily in that I primarily talk about this stuff in is, um, is modeled a little bit after like an AA group, a little bit, not really. It's more just like a chat room, honestly, but mm -hmm. It is. Uh, there, there are points of it, and 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 Ludwig makes a makes a an effort to try to like get people to read um, like the AA manual and everything, and and get us to like attend meetings just just for the sake of like trying to better our lives in general. Because a lot of the rumination happens when you're like stuck inside your head, or you're under lockdown, or you don't mm. have things going your way, or whatever. So. Um, so that's, that's sort of what she, she, uh, she tries to push. Um, and, and, it, and I'm grateful for it. I have to confess, I haven't started reading it because uh, I have a lot of other reading I got to do, but, um, <laughs> but it, it has been it, that, that, that kind of thing has been helpful. I think other groups that are like that, I think, I, I think having that, like, you know, very strict rule set of like, okay, you can't, you can't push transition on anybody. You can't judge anybody for having transitioned either, um, but like you can't you can't push it on anybody. You have to be brutally honest about what the risks are, um, and um, 
generally just like try to encourage each other to like live normal lives really um and 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 you know get out of your head get physical you know try to find love whatever like like trying to mm. trying to do that kind of thing um as it stands like when it comes to the main detrans thing and the, like there's, there's a detrans uh reddit and there's a detrans discord server i i have been in the detrans reddit before i have i have posted a fair bit i haven't posted in in more than six months um just because it's uh i don't know like that that seems to be where like like all the crisis cases are getting caught it's not as much people that are like um that have been detransitioned for a long time like there is some mm. of that there is some of that it's very grateful a lot of there are a lot of pinned posts but a lot of the time and, and increasingly so over the last couple of years it, it, it is like a lot of people like i just found out trans is not real i've just found out that my body is like dying i just found out, like you know uh, it, it's a lot of that and it's a lot of lamentation um and mm. and a lot of it is is more for women a lot of it is more for there are guys in there too but it's it's most it seems like it's mostly women um i don't know uh, like so for the discord server though they did break it up in by sex like there's the main server and then there's like two sort of splinter channels one for men one for women but there was some concern there because uh men weren't allowed into the women one but women were allowed into the men one I'm not totally sure what the deal was with that. That's okay. why. I'm not totally okay. sure what the deal was with that. But it it was sus to me. It was sus to me. And there was a Like, the thing is that with a lot of detrans women, and I totally get why, like, they get drawn into radical feminism very quickly. Like, it's it's it, it's it happens very quickly. And a lot of the, the more famous detransitioners have talked about that, too. Um, and uh, I don't think I don't think it's healthy, especially not for men. Um mm. So I, I'm not, but there is another Dtrans server that is a spinoff of of the main one, that is less active, but it's it's very uplifting. Um, hmm. It's 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 basically just a bunch of feminine guys. Some of them have, not all of them are feminine, but some of them have autogynephilia. Some of them are gay. Some of them are just confused. There's some teenagers. There's some, you know, in their thirties, and you know, it's just people are very brutally honest and they very um hmm. very deliberately try to keep people uh away from like re-identifying as trans the big problem though is that um even a lot of men who consider themselves d-trans they stay on hormones and that i don't think should be considered d-trans because like that's the most harmful part honestly hmm. like one I, I, I mean neither of them are hard like none of them are good but like you're like you're it's it's just ruining your body you know like it's it's very it's not good i don't know i feel like there should be more of an i don't know i don't know what the future of that looks like i'm yeah. not a psychologist yeah but yeah. It's, it, like the the landscape right now is is pretty not good um it's it's pretty not good <laughs> gosh darn it so many black pills <laughs> Education sucks. I'm not this black sucks though, though. I know, I know, you're I'm not. not I'm just saying, we live in a fallen world, and that has been highlighted by this wonderful conversation. So, the conversation itself has been enlightening, not darkening, but still. If if I can, uh, I know that we're about to leave. I know that you have to go. Uh, I have to go too. Um, but I, I will say, like, 
throughout all of that, like the main thing, like throughout everything that 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 I've I've been through through whatever you know, like the big thing is the worst I was like the, at the my absolute rock bottom was when I thought that everything sucked. Was when I thought that everything was falling to shit. When the apocalypse was nigh. When I was completely and totally black pilled that nothing good would ever happen in anyone's lives ever again. Having gone through all of that and come out, you know, in grad school, I'm I'm starting the career of my dreams. I'm, you know, you know and and people take me seriously and I have a good relationship with my family and every like all of the, and and I'm even off hormones and I and it doesn't even really like bother me that much. Like it's it's annoying, but it's not like terrible um there are still like good things in the world like even though there's still hope for everything like even though education uh sucks and and doesn't look like it's gonna get better anytime soon and even though um there aren't like spaces for male detransitioners or whatever like i have some confidence that some things will get better even if other things get worse, like I, I, I have that confidence now, and and I, I, I encourage everyone to not despair about that. 